action. Hello, welcome to Taunt Stubbs, the trash movie podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and creative director of Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never, ever heard of. And we're going to the movies. Joshua and I have a big old shared film knowledge, but there are always gaps that need to be filled. So in this episode, I've recommended we watch a movie neither of us has seen yet. And for this episode, we chose Frida, directed by Julie Tamar. Joshua. Frida is a 2002 biopic that tells the true story of Mexican artist Frida Kahlo, who was considered revolutionary in both her style and her impact on popular culture. Uh, we follow Frida, played by Salma Hayek, from her time as a student in 1922 Mexico City, through her marriage to Diego Rivera, played by Alfred Molina, and into her declining health right up to her death, sadly aged 47. Was she only 47? She was only 47 when she died. Fuck. I know. <laughs> she did all that in like it's no tragic. time at all. Yeah, all these amazing paintings that she that she created and, you know, really awful decline into ill health where she's kind of bed bound. Um, <laughs> she loses her leg and, you know, just basically completely falls apart. And she's only 47 when she died. It's just insane. Because that doesn't come across in the film at all that she's so young. Yeah, I mean, they, they kind of make up her cheeks a bit with a bit of prosthetics to try yeah, to age her. Yeah, grey hair. Yeah, a few grey hairs and stuff. Um, but yeah, because the film doesn't do dates, it kind of, it tells us right at the start that it's Mexico City 1922, but then it doesn't kind of go, and then this is Paris 1930 and all this stuff. Well, I, know, I know at one point that 1953 got mentioned oh, okay. somewhere along the line because I was conscious that, oh, because I remember thinking, oh, it's the 50s. Yeah. Because I thought she hasn't really aged all that much and I know it started in the 20s. Yeah, they just kind of shove her in a schoolgirl outfit in the 20s and then just let her gradually get yeah. more stylish. I was surprised that it was like the 20s because it, it it felt a lot earlier when we were in Mexico. Maybe because they've, they're not as developed or they weren't as developed as America. But when it, they went over to America and he was doing the painting on the wall at... Um, the Rockefeller. Well, the Rockefeller Plaza. Mm. Um, I just felt there was this this contrast between how they were living back home with the kind of buildings they had and where they were working and living when they were in America. It was like they come from a different planet. <laughs> yeah. Well, because America's like super flashy and skyscrapers and all this stuff. And then back in Mexico City where Frida was, it, it's kind of this rustic... Um, kind of homely, kind of cobbled streets and kind of... Mexico. Uh, Mexico, yeah, which <laughs> I, I know I know where I'd rather live. Um, that bus crash was was done exquisitely well. It was really... Some of, the, some of the imagery in this film is gorgeous. Yeah. Just, yeah, that, that crash kind of... It very cleverly kind of, kind of smushed together, technical term, like the horror and the beauty of this moment where it made me think of like you know, Transformers where Michael Bay just kind of blows things up and he kind of almost seems to get kind of bewitched by his own ability to create slow motion chaos. And then this film does it in a way that is so artistic and so gorgeous and horrific. And you, it's kind of like that thing where you can't take your eyes off it. And there's that gold uh, powdered paint yeah. that goes flying everywhere. And But then she's kind of really quite horrifically wounded. And But she's like know, embedded in yeah. the, the wood 
planks of this bus yeah. or this this Tram metro car thing. Yeah. And she looks really amazing lying there. <laughs> she's covered in blood, but she you know, she's positioned in this really beautiful artistic way and she's literally framed by the wood. She is a work of art mm. on a on a on a canvas framed and you only frame the good ones. You don't frame the shit ones, do yeah, you? Yeah. And that's kind of her birth. That's kind of that crash made her bed bound, which is where she started picking up, you know, to, to fill her days. She started drawing and, mm-hmm. and creating these images. So that's her birth. So something horrific is of course something completely beautiful and artistic. Yeah. Yeah. That's the moment where yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was just thinking, I was just, I got distracted because I was thinking about the moment when she starts drawing butterflies on her cast and she tells Diego Luna, who's her boyfriend when she's younger, yeah. that by the time she's finished drawing her butterflies, she wants him to be gone because basically he's leaving her. <laughs> well, how long are you going to take to draw that butterfly? Yeah, I know. But then she ends up drawing about 10 of them all over her, her kind of chest. Um, what's it called? The plaster cast. Plaster yeah. cast, yeah. She had it all around her body to hold yeah. herself in place. How restrictive and itchy oh would that have been? God, I know. Sweaty and smelly. It was like a full body cast. <laughs> it was horrible. It's like, get out, Diego, get out. How young was Diego? Yeah, I know, properly young. Like, I don't even remember him, him being, looking that young in Itu Mama Tambien. Yeah. And that's around about the same time, right? Yeah, Maybe yeah. a year or two before. A couple of years, yeah. I know, because obviously he was just in Rogue One where he's looking like Mr. Dashing kind of face furs and always very dangerous. And in this, he's like fresh-faced kid, basically. Like a baby. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted him to be in it more because I really like Diego Luna and he's not in enough. He was in yeah. He was in the terminal shortly after this. Uh, yeah, I've not seen that for a long time. He was one of the cleaners, do you remember? Oh. In, in Spielberg's The Terminal. Yeah. It but I want to I'd like to see him in more. And I thought it was I thought it was wonderful. obviously it was wonderful with this film that it was quite a Mexican heavy um cast. Mm-hmm. And you don't apart from Coco, you don't really see that much these days in non-Mexican produced films. Yeah, it's funny actually because I was thinking about Coco a lot with this film because a lot of the imagery in Coco is obviously kind of Mexican culture, you know, yeah. the, the paper, the cut-out paper yeah, decorations they have that they little, have. Yeah, like, and... doily things. Yeah, yeah. And the sort of Mexican Day of the Dead stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I kind of, I did think about that quite a lot. That doesn't really add any critical analysis. But, <laughs> but I think it, it, it all ties into Mexican culture, that a uh, lot of their culture is to do with the fact that death doesn't necessarily mean you don't see your family anymore. Mm-hmm. Death can mean the start of something new and that's exactly True. i think that's why i think that's why they were showing in, in this movie a lot of stop motion um sort of skulls and, and skeletons it's because that crash didn't kill her that crash was her rebirth yeah and yeah everything that came after was almost like her afterlife mm. yeah no that's a good way of looking at it actually yeah and and there was that extremely artistic a stop motion sequence where immediately after the crash there's a, they're called the brothers key they're kind of stop motion brothers and uh they created this kind of really nightmarish tim burton-esque i was because i was thinking kind of, um yeah. yeah it was exactly like that where she's they're kind of like skull-like doctors are operating on her and trying to save her life and isn't that the most that dialogue is where we find out the extent of her injuries which are really quite horrific uh, um, I think so. Yeah, I think there's some dialogue over the top of that stop motion, and 
yeah, it's like, it's really like, ah, like, it's really quite terrifying. (laughs) It's like, have you seen Peter Jackson's Brain Dead? No. Uh, Well, it felt a little bit like that, kind of scary, scary stuff. Some of the stylist stuff in this film, like, taken her paintings and turn them into real life like their wedding picture was a portrait and then it fades into Mm. them actually standing there that i thought was such a wonderful stylist way of constantly saying without actually saying that her life was informing her picture she wasn't just painting pictures she was creating portraits that were the sign of her times yeah she wasn't doing this to document mexican history it's all about her. Her paintings are all about her, which is why this film is called Frida. Yeah. And the paintings kind of re- reflect her emotional state in, in you know, at those times. And yeah, the, the, the film very cleverly told her story through her, her own imagery. Yeah. Which it was is, almost like the origins of her paintings. Yeah. The, the origin story. The yeah. prequels to... <laughs> the, the real life painting, Frida. The real life Frida. Yeah. But that being said... They've taken an artist who was so much about showing herself. I felt that they they dedicated far too much of the film to uh, her husband, Diego. Yeah. And at one point I was thinking, who is this film actually about? Because I'm not getting a sense of who Frida is. I'm understanding yeah. that she's a painter. She's a portrait artist. And she's having these things happen to her. The crash... Um, having the husband cheat on her. But I didn't get a sense of who she was. I didn't get a sense really much of... Because at one point, she's quite passive. She was like, oh, okay, I'll come to New York with you. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm really, um, you know, I'm really upset for you that the the Rockefeller people, Ed Norton, is like saying, no, you can't have Lenin in your picture. Oh, I'll come back to Mexico with you. So she was quite a passive character by that point when earlier on she'd been so feisty when she was when she was a kid getting you know fucked by Diego Luga in the 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 closet and then later on when she was trying to show um the other Diego the real Diego her painting she was like no you come down here Mm -hmm. so she was quite feisty but then she becomes this passive woman who just lets people do whatever they want to her and I didn't get a sense of who she was yeah that, that was my main problem with this film is that it gradually kind of lost me over the course of two hours you know you start out with this really punchy opening where she is this really a kind of opinionated and passionate young woman and as and as soon as she starts um seeing Diego played by Alfred Molina I just thought, oh God, is this going to be a film about their torturous marriage and how she gets cheated on repeatedly and yet stays with him and all this stuff? Mm. And I just, I just found it really kind of sad and a bit disappointing that this story was so much dictated by him and their marriage. And I'm not saying that her marriage wasn't an important part of her life and a huge part of her life, but there were other things that were going on for her. And I felt like the film slightly started to say that the, her that Frida's creativity was kind of coming purely out of her marriage, which yeah. was never the case earlier on in her life. It ended up making a portrait of a woman that I didn't feel was perhaps entirely authentic. Like, I don't know how much of her marriage really was um, influencing her art. I don't know. I guess I guess she was, she was painting very emotionally, so you, you could never really decipher that completely. Hmm. But yeah, it just, it was quite muddled for me which is a shame because like Salma Hayek is great in this film 
Um, and she took it took her years to land this role. Like they wanted to make a film of this in the early nineties. And as early as 1993, she was auditioning for this role. Oh, really? And she was determined that she wanted to play Frida Kahlo because she saw this strong Mexican woman who had transcended her own limitations, transcended this this idea that Mexicans couldn't contribute to culture and um, all that kind of stuff. And and so Sam Hayek was like, I want to play this role. She was deemed too young, too inexperienced in 1993. But the, the project took so long to come to fruition that by the time it was the 2000s, um, she had, you know, basically convinced um, everybody that she was right for this role. And she was actually integral in securing the rights to the paintings to be shown in the film. So, yeah, there is a sense of kind of disappointment that she was so passionate about making this film about this strong Mexican woman. And we ended up basically just watching her through her marriage. Yeah, and I wonder if it was made in 1993, she would have been far too young to have portrayed Frida past past the accident. Really, how old is she? She would have been. I think she's in. She was in her thirties, maybe mid mid thirties when she made sixty six. So, in 1993, she would have been twenty eight, twenty seven. Okay. She was born in 1966. Oh, wow. And she's 51 now. So she's That's actually... Great. I know, bloody hell. <laughs> so she's younger. She's older than Frida was when she died. Yeah, she is, yeah. Crazy. She would, yeah, she would have been far too young in the 90s. And also nobody knew... Outside of Mexico, I doubt anyone knew who she was. She didn't really... Right. Nobody so, really knew who she was until... Well, you know, for us, until Dust Till Dawn, right? Oh, Salma as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that was another oh, reason. Oh, Frida. No one knew who Frida no, was exactly. until the bloody film. Yeah, exactly. And Coco. <laughs> yeah. Salma Hayek kind of got her big break when she had the role in Desperado, then she did From Dust Till Dawn, and that fucking awful film with Matthew Perry falls rush in. Which don't is, remember that. Oh, I loved it as a kid, but no, just don't. No? Don't, okay. don't get near it. Um, and then <laughs> after this, she, she did The Faculty, which obviously I love. She was, yeah, she was in that, but that was another Rodriguez. Yeah, true. Yeah, she likes working yeah. with him. And then she did Wild Wild West. And then she didn't really do anything of any note until at Sundance last year, she did Beatrice at Dinner, which I fucking loved. She plays this kind of like dowdy, holistic nurse who ends up stranded at her um, posh client's um, house in the middle of nowhere. And she ends up being invited to this this ritzy dinner and this guy happens to be there, played by John Lithgow, who's kind of like this Trump-like awful businessman. Yeah. And they end up clashing. And it's such a great film. And it's still not out over here. And it's really infuriating because she's amazing in it. It'll and probably it's just, get like an on-demand release or something. I, yeah, probably. But, yes, she's had a, a very... Up and down. Up and down career. career. Yeah. Maybe she's happy with that. Maybe she... I mean, she she produced um, and, and either was showrunner, but I know she was a producer of Ugly Betty. Oh, of course she was. Yeah. yeah. So she had that. So maybe she's done more yeah. stuff behind the scenes. Yeah, I think so. But one of the other things that is quite sad with this film is that in December 2007, she actually wrote an opinion piece for the New <gasps> yes. York Times. Yes, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. yeah. And she kind of details both the struggles in making this film in terms of in like creativity and all that stuff, but also the fact that Harvey Weinstein basically kind of repeatedly attempted to kill the film kill her career mm-hmm. um she said uh, and i quote she said for years he was my monster 
And all the after all these stories came out about Harvey Weinstein, she realized in her, this is her quote, she said, my story as important as it was to me was nothing but a drop in an ocean of sorrow and confusion. And she details this horrific relationship, working relationship with Harvey Weinstein that she had um, and just struggling and struggling and struggling to get this film made. And these ridiculous conditions that she says he imposed on her, which were she has to have a nude scene, she has to go full frontal, she has to have a nude scene with another woman. Um, which wasn't needed. I mean, I, I got that she was a lesbian or or fluid with her. Yeah. I mean, she never identified as lesbian in the film. I haven't read up on her um, in real life. But in terms of in terms of this film, I get it. She sleeps with both men and women. I didn't need a a lackluster sex scene with a woman to mm-hmm. really hammer that point home because that girl on girl scene didn't it wasn't the first girl on girl scene in the in the film that came almost towards sort of maybe an hour and forty minutes in. We get it. We don't mm-hmm. need that scene. But this was the condition that Harvey Weinstein imposed on her. Uh-huh. And she said Samuel Hayek wrote in this article about how she started having essentially panic attacks and kind of a mental breakdown before shooting this scene because it wasn't the fact that she had that she was performing a a love scene with a woman it was the fact that she was doing it for this guy yeah. who has essentially bullied her non-stop over the course of the production of the film and he decided that he was going to release it in, in one cinema in New York she convinced him to release it in two one in LA as well um, and he only actually expanded the release when it ended up being this big draw for yeah. crowds. Um, Did you see it? You didn't see it at the time. No, you haven't seen it, have you? No, no, no. neither of us have seen it. That's what I said in the intro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, remember, I remember it coming out. I just never went to see it. It just wasn't really... It didn't appeal to me back then. Yeah, and also the name Frida is not the sexiest name in the world, is it? It's like, no. let's go watch a film called Gretchen. Or, <laughs> you know, it doesn't... Unless you knew who Frida Kahlo was. Yeah, but, but the whole point was no one knew... Right. Outside of, I guess, very specific circles. Yeah. Nobody knew who she was, but her stuff is amazing. Her, yeah, it is amazing. Her work is amazing. It's really surreal mm. and, and personal, and there's real sort of crazy shit in there yeah like there's that that industry that self-portrait of of two of her sitting side one, by side got the heart missing the yeah. other one's the heart is outside yeah yeah it's amazing it, it, and it reminded me of um some stuff that uh dali mm. had done okay same sort of palette same sort yeah. of color scheme kind of blocky and vibrant and very yeah. raw gorgeous stuff jeffrey rush Oh, God. Every film lights up when he's in it. I know. He's so great. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, but all the politics in this film just went straight over my head. I didn't really get it either, I have to be honest. <laughs> like, I know I, that he was... There was a funny joke about Nazis. That was good. I know that he was Trot, Trotsky. Trotsky, yeah. He Trotsky, was which Russian. is a, a real guy. Yeah. Summit. He did summit political. <laughs> but I was thinking, is there anyone alive nowadays that is considered an artist but is so dangerous to the very fabric of society that they become a political target well i'm not even banksy (laughs) banksy's just a a creation isn't he he's not a real person it might be a she it might be a, a a collective yeah true but they're not undoing the very fabrics of society banksy might put like he hasn't done anything for years has he he might put something on the wall of like a policeman holding a bunch of flowers or whatever. 
but it, it's not like people in, polit- in politics or parliament are going, oh, shit, he's done another one. Mm. Oh, we, we better pull our socks up and do something. Yeah, but that, that's because um, the conversation's kind of moved on a bit, I guess. Like, now the art is documentaries or um, Netflix TV shows like Making a Murderer where they expose the truth. And, but that's it's a pe- very good point. And yeah. it's people like Julian Assange who leak stuff onto the internet. Like, art was art was a way of expressing a a you know a controversial viewpoint yeah in a time perhaps when there weren't other modes of doing that that's how i see it anyway yeah that is a very good point i didn't even think of that (laughs) i wouldn't even think that you know a netflix documentary could could change opinions or change the world as people always say i know that that guy what's his name stephen avery's Mm. case came back into the the public consciousness or it came into people's consciousness for the first time but we live in such a fast fast-paced disposable um sort of entertainment culture that after a week you just go oh well something else to binge on yeah you just move on it's like click activism mm-hmm. people think because they've retweeted something that oh great i've done my bit yeah i've done my bit i've helped that little starving boy in africa or i've yeah. helped those gays trapped in russia yeah. You know, like the whole pussy riot thing. Yeah. It's like, that's not enough. You haven't physically gone anywhere. You've, you've just done nothing. I mean, you haven't even said it out loud. You've just <laughs> thought inside <laughs> yeah. your head, yeah, I'll help him. I agree Retweet. with that. I've done my bit. Yeah. I've done my bit. What have you done? What have you done today to make yourself feel proud? <laughs> what have you done today? Retweet. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a shame that this film ended up kind of not necessarily capturing Frida herself as an individual. Like how much of how much of her life was tied up in the marriage, and how much of it was tied up in the family, um, and how much, you know, I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's a symptom of the fact that she did have that horrific injury when she was younger, and it kind of prevented her from perhaps being as uh, what's the word independent, independent as independent as she ha- perhaps would have been. I don't know. That's the thing is be- I really wanted to research a shit ton about Frida after watching the film. Yeah. Um, didn't have time, but I am fascinated by the idea of her. Do you think that she defines herself or everyone defined her so much by her injuries that mm. she couldn't just be Frida. She had to be Frida plus the husband, Frida yeah. plus the boyfriend, Frida plus the women. She was never just Frida, even though the film is called Frida, mm. she could never be just Frida. I guess so. All I know is that I started getting really annoyed at Alfred Molina's character <laughs> and just, I never, Dr. Alfred, Octopus. Alfred Molina always seems to play these guys who get the women and he gets all the women in this film. Or the men. He was in um, Prick Up Your Ears. Ah, I've um, never seen that. He was the guy... It was, it's about Joe Orton and the relationship that eventually killed him. Huh. And he kills Joe Orton, played by um, Churchill himself, Gary Oldman. Oh. Um, I haven't seen that yet, have you? No. I just keep seeing the, the advert. He shouts a lot, it seems. <laughs> you can't argue with a tiger when you're in its mouth! <laughs> I think you should be the new Thanks, Gary, Gary Oldman. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he plays kind of a similar role, like... A really spoiled, arrogant artist who's almost jealous of someone else's talent. Mm. And that was probably 15 years before Frida. So it was the late 80s. Right. Yeah, about 16 years then. Um, I haven't seen him in much. I know he was Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 2. 
He was in Species in a very important role. Oh, he was in Species. Yeah. And he was in um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, of course he was, but he gets his spiked head. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right at the beginning. I mean, it was terrifying. Like, that was his first sort of Hollywood role. And that was what? 20 he, years. That was about 20 years before then. 1980, wasn't it? 22 years then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so I haven't seen him much, but he was, I, I do, I do enjoy him when I see him, but his character, yeah, you're right. His character it was, was very annoying to watch. It was aggravating because it was all about him. And it makes you turn on Frida slightly. You kind of think, Frida, just leave him. Kick the dog to the curb. <laughs> but maybe she can't. Like I said, maybe she no. defines herself by her men. Hmm. Or maybe she just felt that she loved him. I think that she genuinely felt that she loved him and and what but he, he was doing. he said to her, I can't be a good husband. Mm. I can be, be loyal, but I can't be faithful. Mm. Yeah, and she says, you were never my husband. Oh, That's, that was a beautifully shot scene with the cobbles and she, she stalks off over the cobbles. And she beautiful. divorced him, but then she remarried him? Or yeah. Did she remarry him? When he was too old when he was too old to shag 19-year-olds anymore. Or the sister. Yeah, they ended up remarrying. Ridiculous. Yeah. We, I should say, sorry, this is a real guy who actually existed. <laughs> <laughs> so we should apologise yeah, for judging him, but this is the well, way we... We're not we're judging st- him. I'm, I'm, we're, just, we're just commenting on how he's portrayed in this film. Yeah. So if anything, it's some Hayek's fault. Yeah. <laughs> So that was Frida, directed by Julie Taymor. We want you to join the conversation. Come on, tweet us your thoughts and reviews to at Torn Subs Pod, even if you're listening to this way after we've released the podcast. We often reply, we retweet, we quote tweets, and we follow back. We do indeed. Yeah. We're off to cover each other in gold dust. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut. <laughs>